Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I, your erstwhile host, folklore nerd, freelance RPG writer and mad scientist, take you on a tour of folklore, myths and legends from across the globe, with some inane drunk ramblings occasionally thrown in. In this episode, we're travelling up to Bonnie, Scotland, and kind of like around the world as well, because I got distracted, as I always do. But yeah, so we're going to Scotland, because uh, I just spent some time up in Edinburgh. I had a little bit of a break up there, and well, it was a bit too touristy for me. I didn't get to travel much outside the city centre, to be fair, because I was quite ill for most of it. I was a bit out of it. My brain had just kind of fried itself. So most of it's a little bit of a blur. I remember bits of it. I remember the pretty buildings, and I remember a lot of people. Though it was also school half-term and leading up to Easter weekend, so that might have a lot to do with it as well. We did go on a ghost tour. We went down into the vaults uh, under South Bridge, where no ghost appeared, surprisingly. Uh, and to me, they actually felt kind of warm and oddly cosy and welcoming, even when we went into the the vault that has the... Um, what did they call it? I forgot what it's called now. The entity, that's it. Like The, the kind of dangerous ghost... I, I, I had no issue being in there, it felt quite nice, um, even when all the lights were off and she, the, the, the tour guide was trying to spoop us, uh, I just like, oh no, this is actually kind of cool, um, I'm okay here, it's nice and warm. And then, yeah, then it took us up to, then they took us up to Greyfriars Kirkyard um, and showed us the Mackenzie Poltergeist tomb and the Black tomb and things, where we went into the, the bit, I forget what the name is called, but it's a uh, was kind of like a prison or a ghetto where they put all the where Mackenzie put all the people and then they all died um, but I'm not looking into either of those things today I thought I'd look into some Edinburgh folklore but not spooky tales because loads of people have done the Mackenzie poltergeist um, so I'm not gonna look into that not gonna go into the the vaults um, that's just a little bit too depressing <laughs> even for me that's a little bit too depressing it wasn't particularly nice living there what I'm going to do is I'm going to go much further back in time. I'm going to go, we're going to time travel all the way back to 1127. 900, nearly 900 years ago, I should say then. And to someone who shares the same name as me. Um, king David I of Scotland. So yeah, I'm not a king and I'm not from Scotland. But yeah, David, that's me. So <laughs> yeah, we're going to look at him and we're going to look at kind of the roots of the name Holyrood. Holyrood? Yeah, Holyrood, not Hollywood. Holyrood, which is an area in in, in Edinburgh. But before we get into the folklore bits, who was David? Uh, A brief history, brief history lesson. I'm not going to do too much of this because there's a lot um, actually around King David. So, David I, or Daud Machmel Kolum, Kolum, something like that. I don't know how you pronounce it lived from 1084 to 1153. He was originally the Prince of the Cumbrians from around 1113 to 1124, uh, after which he became the King of Scotland um, up into 1153 when he died. He was the youngest son of Malcolm III and Margaret of Wessex, which is quite interesting because Wessex, I think, is south. So it's a bit of a trek. He spent most of his childhood in Scotland, um, but was exiled to England in 1093 by uh, King Uncle Donald, um, who had besieged him in Edinburgh. Uh, and then, yeah, Donald became king. 
So in kind of sometime after 1100, he got connected to King Henry I of England, and there he had was influenced massively by the Anglo-French culture of the court because this was just after the Normans had invaded uh, 1066 and kind of taken over. So when David was like one of many sons, of many children of Malcolm and Margaret, I think there's like nine of them or something, um, when his brother Alexander I of Scotland died in 1124, David chose, and I like this, I like the way that this is frozen, David chose, with the backing of King Henry I, to take the kingdom of Scotland for himself. He's like, well, my, my brother's dead, I, I'll just have it, I don't care about your your, your rules as to who, who's going to come next, and it's like, I'll just take it, thank you very much, it's mine now. Um, at the time it was actually called Alba, um, and we kind of see connections to the name Albion there. Uh, we're not going to look at that. So, nah. so yeah, David was uh, a lackey for England in Scotland. And he was heavily influenced by his time with Henry and his time in the Anglo-Norman court. And so he brought a lot of these ideas to Scotland, including things like um, founding boroughs and regional markets, implementation of the ideals of the Gregorian reform. He founded many monasteries in Scotland. Uh, he Normanized the Scottish government and introduced feudalism, because that's always a good thing to introduce to people. He, yeah, he introduced feudalism through the French as well. So he brought in a load of French knights and went, yeah, well, all feudal be vassals to me now, because we know how feudalism works and how good that thing is. But yeah, he was also forced, once he became king, uh, by Henry and his pals to start a war against his nephew, male Colum Mac Alexander. Um, I sorry about butchering these names, but there are many relations and wars in David's story. I like, as I say, he's that he was he was one of nine children, and everybody else seems to be related to him in some way, shape, or form that I'm not going to go into because that'll take me years. But yeah, so winning the war against his nephew took around ten years, um, and the victory allowed him to do land grabs. Yeah, so he just basically went and beat up his nephew and grabbed all his land and took control over the more distant regions, which were apparently theoretically part of the kingdom already. But being distant and the time when you couldn't travel very far, they had kind of seceded in a way. But yeah, after the death of his uh, patron Henry I, David supported the claims of Henry's daughter and his own niece, Empress Matilda. Now, you may think this is a little bit odd that he uh, kind of supported a, a, a lady and a woman at this time. It was actually kind of more common than you'd think. There was a lot of queens and, and ladies who had a lot of power and, and, and controlled the regions and things. So it wasn't just men. So, yeah, she he, he supported her bid for the throne of England. And this brought him into conflict, conflict, conflict with King Stephen. And by doing this, he was able to expand his power into northern England, so kind of below the below the borders. Um, but because of um, maybe because of the story that we I'm about to tell, um, David I is seen as a saint of the Catholic Church, uh, with his feast day being celebrated on May the twenty fourth. So, so why have I just told you a bit of history about this random bloke from Scotland and England? Well, as I said, there is a place, or there's a palace in Edinburgh called Holyrood Palace. And David had a little bit to do with that. 
Holyrood sits at the bottom of the of an extinct volcano. Yeah, Edinburgh is built on a volcano. Um, luckily, it's extinct. Uh, otherwise, that's a really dumb place to stick a capital city. Tokyo, looking at you next to uh, that big one. The, the volcano is known as Arthur's Seat. Uh, I'll kind of look into the name of that later. But during David's time, um, this region, so Arthur's Seat, was not the grassy hill that it is now. Um, but it was a large royal hunting forest, and it was covered in trees and full of boar and deer and other things that people liked to casually murder for sport. Uh, now, David was also known as a pious and devout Christian. Uh, he regularly went to church and was an all-round God-fearing king, uh, as most of them were at the time. However, he was also partial to hunting, again, as any kind of ruler at the time would be. It was kind of something to do during the day, rather than rather than tax the poor you'd go out and hunt instead so when you got bored of taxing the poor you'd go out and kill things so one day he he was a little bit naughty and so instead of going to church he thought he'd spend the day in the woods hunting and enjoy the peace and tranquility as everyone else should be at worship now the day that he chose this was actually kind of an important day it was the feast day of the holy cross and yeah it was kind of a big deal and he should really have been at church but David thought, nah, screw that, I'm going to go and kill myself something instead. So off he went, ignoring the cries and pleads from all those annoying and needy and pesky priests that were around at the church going, no, you need to come to church, no, 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 don't do that, it's a really bad idea. So whilst travelling through the trees uh, with his bow and spear, he and his companions spotted a great white stag. It was majestic, it was tall, it was bright, and it had antlers to die for. So... It was a magnificent beast and a grand prize for any hunt and would look great bringing it back, saying, look, look, the, look, the Lord has, has granted us this great prize on this wonderful day. Now, having probably never read any of Arthur's stories, so uh, the Arthurian legends and about white stags, because, uh, well, probably at the wrong end of the country and a few hundred years, maybe too early, depending on kind of your history. David didn't know what such a beast represented. So he and his mates went a-stalking, and they tracked the beast, the stag, through the woods. Somehow, throughout this, David was separated from his companions uh, during the hunt, and he found himself all alone in a clearing. Just kind of like wandering around going, I'm following the stag, following the stag. Boom, I'm in a clearing. Where are my mates? Where's the stag? Ah, but suddenly the stag burst out of the brush in front of David. So this startled his horse, which reared up, and it launched David backwards out of the saddle, onto his ass and onto his back. And doing this, he lost his grip on his spear and his bow. The horse then bolted and left left David on the ground in a kind of heap. Uh, he was left there, and the, 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 the stag was staring and towering in front of him. It slowly approached... David became very aware of how large, sharp, and pointy the antlers looked. Lying there on the ground, terrified he was about to be trampled and gored to death, his spear and bow just out of reach, he prayed for his life. Desperate, desperately prayed for his life. But, much to his surprise, instead of dying a horrible and messy and trampy and spiky death, something miraculous happened. He opened his eyes to see the stag towering over him, and between the antlers there appeared a shining white cross. 
With tears in his eyes, he reached for the cross in reverence and thanks. And just before he could touch it, the stag bolted and was never seen again. So to mark this miracle uh, and show his thanks to God for not trampling him to death, David pledged to build an abbey on the spot where it happened. And he did this, uh, and he named it uh, in English Holy Cross, or in Scottish Holy Rood. And so over the years the abbey grew, and it became what is there now, which is the Palace of Holy Rood. It sits at the bottom of Arthur's seat, and it's, it's a very, very grand uh, building with lots of gothic architecture and kind of looks like a castle as well. I didn't go into it. I am very poor because I don't have a job at the moment, and it was closed on the day I went as well. So, uh, But it is very, very pretty. So it's on one side of the road. On the other side of the road, you've actually got the Scottish government as well. And then um, it's at the end of the Royal Mile. You travel up the Royal Mile, you get to Edinburgh Castle as well. It's a very pretty city, but there was many tourists and I was ill. Quick side note before I look at white stags and their meanings and other stories related to them. Uh, Arthur's seat. So according to some myths and legends, it is named after King Arthur, with some people claiming it is where Camelot was built, not in Tintagel down in Cornwall, or in other places that claim this, such as Arthur's seat and chair, uh, like Stone Chair in the, in the Lakes is one of them. Um, there's others around, so we don't actually know. Uh, the National Trust likes you to think that it's Tintagel, and most of the stories kind of do come from the Mabinogion, so it is kind of more likely that it is Cornwall, Devon or Wales somewhere. Possibly. We'll look at that one day. Uh, others claim it was named after King Arthur came up to Scotland and beat up a few Scots in a few legendary battles. Now, these are probably likely untrue. And there is one possibility uh, that it derives from a Gaelic term, uh, which is Ard Nasid. Uh, roughly translating as height of arrows or arrow's seat and through bastardization of language it became Arthur's seat um, but basically we don't know where the name came from <laughs> so yeah take 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 what you will from that so white stags what are they and why am I talking about them well basically they're a very prominent feature in folklore uh, across the world so they are seen a lot in Arthurian legends and we may see that as kind of another connection there with Arthur's seat. So King David sees the, the, the white stag. It's very prominent in Celtic and Arthurian legends as, as a prominent thing. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so maybe there's that connection there. Uh, don't know. But yeah, in Celtic mythology, uh, they are seen as a connection to the other world. So white is a symbol of purity and divinity and peace. And the white stag... Is, is part of that. It is the colour. So white is the colour of which is connected to the other world and afterlife. And in Celtic mythology as well, they're often seen as messengers. So white stags are messengers. Uh, it is kind of how it's seen in the story here with King David. So it's a messenger from God. Maybe that you shouldn't be out killing things and should be more holy and in church on a, on a holy day. So, yeah. Um, they are thought as well to appear to someone who has broken some kind of law or code, much like David did, or Pyrrhul um, when he decided to trespass on Aaron's hunting grounds in the Mabinogion. In England, we have the White Hart, uh, which is quite common, which is quite a common pub name uh, you see on pub signs all around the country. 
This is connected to Hearn the Hunter, who is the ghost who haunts Windsor Forest and has antlers, much like the Celtic god Serret. Ser I'm going to butcher this. I was trying to say it earlier. Cerninos or Kerninos. Um, the C, I think, is probably hard. Uh, so Kerninos, who has horns also growing out of his head. I'll look into these two in, uh, in detail in another episode where I can talk about the wild hunt and things as well. So in Arthurian legends, um, the white stag is very much elusive and hard to catch and is seen as a symbol of the struggle and pursuit of humanity's quest for spiritualism. It's something that we are always searching for and is always out of reach. Uh, usually when it's encountered in the legends, it is often at the point where a knight would be about to begin a noble quest for something. The, the quests will likely lead the, the hunters or the, the knights to kind of new places that may offer new beginnings, insights and knowledge. knowledge. So it's kind of Again, uh, leading you into new things, it's a new beginning, um, the purity and divinity of it, uh, you, you discover things. But as I say, like the white, the white Stag is not just connected to British and Celtic, Celtic mythology, and it's seen all across the world. So there's a story from Hungary, which is known as the Legend of the Wondrous Stag. This is the story of Hunor and Magor, the sons of Nimrod, who was the great hunter king. The sons gave chase to a great white stag. Now, various versions of the story say it's a stag, some say it's a doe, some say it's a hind. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter as to kind of what it is. It's a great white deer of some kind. The, the, the white deer led them far and wide away from Hungary and into new countries where they established the peoples of the Huns and the Magar in the, at the time, known region of Scythia, which is kind of Turkmenistan and kind of, Uzbekistan kind of regions from very 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 long time ago also in the cosmos in Hungarian folklore the cosmos is the mother of the sun and is a horned female doe or hind and between her antlers she carries the sun moon and stars so we see that as quite an important figure there there's a tale from Thailand um, there's many tales from Thailand but we're going to talk about one of them I'm going to try and do this briefly because it's quite a long tale um, it comes from the Tao people of Sun Moon Lake. Um, and like kind of the European stories, in, in Thailand, the stag symbolized mysterious, otherworldly, and usually prophetic motives. So the story is kind of how, this is the story of how the Tao people came to Sun Moon Lake. And briefly, hopefully, <laughs> I can do this. They, there was a group of hunters who had gone on a long hunting trip. It had gone on for a few days and rations were starting to run low. The hunters, who were experts in hunting boar and deer and, and other creatures of the woods, had yet to find anything and they were getting desperate. Suddenly the hunting dogs got excited and a large, regal, ghostly white stag burst from the trees. The hunters, in their excitement, let loose their bows and spears and the hunt was on. It lasted days, with the stag always managing just to evade capture. Kind of like we see in that Arthurian idea that it's always just slightly out of reach. And it was leading them into parts and peaks and woods that they'd never been before. And they tracked it to a large lake where the stag suddenly leapt into the air and was lost to the hunters. So, dejected and worn out, they gave up. 
they dangled their feet into the waters of the lake. And to their surprise, strange and wonderful creatures came to swim around their feet. And being people of the woods and mountains, they'd never seen fish before. Hungry, and seeing how easy it would be to catch these, the hunters hunted the fish. Though having failed to catch the stag, it had led them to a wealth of food. And there they settled on the lake shore, bringing their families up, and it became known as the Sun Moon Lake. So there we see again that the, the white stag kind of leading them to the new beginnings and, and, and new, new things uh, as it's just out of reach. In Japanese mythology, there is also a story of how Japan is discovered, uh, which involves a white stag. There are two twins who, just, who go on a hunt, and they are hunting a white stag, um, and one day they lose track of it. And they spend some time arguing between themselves about which way the stag went and which way they should go to continue the hunt. Brothers being br brothers, they, they didn't agree. And so one goes east and one goes west. The twin who travels east discovers the island of Japan. We also see the stags a lot in heraldry and things. And it's just kind of that connection to purity and divinity um, within the UK. But I'm not going to go into that because... Again, I've not had time to, to do things. So, but that's it. Um, I hope you uh, enjoyed that. I know it's kind of a bit of a brief one again today. Next one is, is a long one. We've actually already, I've already recorded the next episode. It is much longer. Um, as we go back into Beltane and, and I have Fiona back as we talk about Beltane and we look at some RPGs that we could use maybe to, to run some Beltane stuff. Beltane related games there are maybe a few mistakes in that episode so please don't kill me um i've been very busy and very ill over the last couple of weeks so um i've not had as much time to proofread and check everything so please please do forgive me but yeah on the rpg front um i've actually just released self-published on drive-thru rpg in the free league workshop i've just released my uh, scottish vessel mystery known as dark tides it's the one that i played with mark norman icy sedgwick james and james shakeshaft and tom Murr over on the youtubes you can go and watch it there but you can also pick up the full scenario over on drive-thru rpg free league workshop it's only three pounds um and i build up into a lot of scottish folklore um, and things about that there so you can go find that there i enjoyed writing it and uh, i managed to find a region where there's lots of weird little folklore and folk tales that kind of fit into the story quite well so uh, go pick that up if you fancy it and thanks for listening hope you did enjoy that i hope you enjoy the next episode it's always fun to have fiona around uh, you can find me over on the twitters at the drunken store one you can find me on facebook as well and you can find me on anywhere you listen to podcasts. So please, please do do that. Um, it'd be great if you could share it around and like and subscribe and all that malarkey. But if not, don't worry. So yeah, all that is left for me to say is goodbye, my friends. <laughs>